A warm welcome to those for the early morning meeting. We're very grateful that my young pastor, um, my ex, let's see, how do we say it? A former pastor. I'm digging myself deep. Uh, my former pastor is here to share with us the morning devotional. Uh, I had the privilege of working with him for more than a dozen years and continue to work with him on various projects. And we are thankful that he has consented to come and share with us. Uh, Pastor McIntosh has been very involved in medical evangelism. He was a nurse when we were able to prevail on him to accept a call to come and pastor our church at Three Angels in Wichita, Kansas. And his nursing roots showed through in his committed pastoral ministry. I believe that you will appreciate what he has to share with you this morning. I am going to go down and work on the, uh, the computer so that the colors improve. And uh, Pastor Don, we are going to be praying for you. And we know that this will be a blessing. All right. Let's just ask the Lord to be with us today as we uh, begin our time with him. Father in heaven, as we consider the right arm today, we realize it can only be accessed through the spirit and through prayer. And it's when we come to the end of ourselves that we, become, we come to the beginning of what you can do. And today, I just want to ask for your presence. Lord, I have nothing to bring, but you have everything we need. And it is only through your power and your might that we have anything. So come with us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you believe that? So only that. I want to talk with you today about the right arm. Um, the right arm revisited. I can't see my screen, so I may come out here just a little bit, if you don't mind. The right arm revisited. Now, I have a mic here, I think. It's okay. Um, as I thought about this conference, I thought, you know, there are some familiar quotes that come to mind um, that we've probably heard many times. The medical missionary work is to be the work of the church, be to the work of the church as the right arm is to the body. How many of you have heard that? How many times have you heard that? Millions of times, hundreds of times, thousands of times. Medical missionary work is the right hand of the gospel, so the right arm and the right hand. Uh, I was listening to a tape by Dr. Harding on the hand, and he said basically the arm is useless without the hand. Um, I suppose you could do some very gross motor movements and maybe knock a few people out of the way, but it's true. The arm and the hand go together. The right hand is used to open doors through which the body may find entrance. entrance. This is the part of the medical missionary work. This is the part that the medical missionary work is to act. 
So these are f familiar statements that uh, we often hear. But I have this, uh, I guess, practice that whenever I read something in Ellen White's writings, I may not have time every time. I, I'll accept it and act on it right then because I know that what I'm about to tell you will come true. But I go back and try and find where she got this idea in Scripture. Do you do that um, in your health work? I, I think it's really important to do that. And uh, one of the statements that sometimes has been misused, I'm not trying to misuse it, but this has always caused me to think. Do not repeat what I have said. Saying Sister White said this and Sister White said that. Find out what the Lord, of God, Lord God of Israel says and then do what he commands. Now, I'm not trying to say that you use that statement to not quote Ellen White. You understand what I mean? But I've taken that to always mean go back and do your research in the Bible as best you can. And I have never been disappointed, ever been disappointed in that. And I have always been in awe of the spirit of prophecy as a result of that. It is, uh, it, I, it's a discipline I would, uh, I would probably think you are familiar with. Well, what does the scripture say about God's right arm and hand? You know, when you look for texts that deal directly with health and the right hand or the right arm in Scripture, there are not very many. Here's one. Length of days is in her right hand. This is speaking about wisdom. And uh, in her left hand, riches and honor. <laughs> both have their purposes. And both can have their uh, problems as well. But other than this text, and I would say also Daniel chapter 5, you know, when Belshazzar went against everything he knew to be right, and God said, don't you know that I have your breath and your entire life in my hand, right? This is, this is another pretty direct text. But other than those two texts, now I, may, I want you to, uh, you know, inform me otherwise, but overtly mentioning the right hand, the right arm, and healing. I don't see anything except this text directly, but in studying God's right hand and right arm, I think you'll see some powerful connections this morning. I hope that you do. Um, there's usually a clock in the back of my church. Dr. Mills put that up for me. Okay. <laughs> no, he didn't. Here's what I discovered as I was looking at this concept. God's right hand, actually both hands, are talked about when God is described as the creator. Here's an example. Ah, oh, Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth by thy great power and stretched out arm, and there is nothing too hard for thee. Jeremiah 32:17. Well, um, there's different passages I know you can find where it talks about his hands, but notice this one in Jeremiah. My hand also hath laid the foundation, or rather Isaiah 48, 13. My hand also hath laid the foundation of the earth, and my right hand has spanned the heavens. When I call unto them, they stand up together. So here we have both hands alluded to in Scripture, but the right hand especially alluded to. Is this interesting? 
the right-hand ministry of God. And so in creation, that, that uh, right hand was active. Both hands were. I, as I studied it more, it seems as though one formed things and then the other filled it. it, it they, they worked together, but the right hand is the dominant hand of power and authority. And uh, God himself, the name Elohim, means the mighty covenant maker or the mighty relationship maker. And on day one, he created light and dark, and there's kind of a relationship between those. If you don't have one, you don't really understand the other. Now, I'm not uh, like Plato, who said that means that there was good and evil from the beginning of time. But there are light and dark cycles that we know impact the body and impact our health, and we can learn about many of those things. Day two, he created the air and the water, O2 and H2O, and he holds our breath in his hand, we're told in Daniel chapter 5. Day 3, he then created the land and the plants. And it's interesting, the relationship you can see between each of these, and then the relationship between all of them. I mean, plants usually have land. I know that there are those that are not on the land, but land and they need air and they need water many times. I mean, I know there's anaerobic plants. There's some exceptions. I'm aware of these, but by and large. And then they have light and dark as well. But you see this is God is forming things. And the Hebrew word is tohu, not tofu, but tohu. He formed things. And then you see that he filled them. God, God doesn't form things and then just say, well... <laughs> There's no purpose. He fills them. And uh, if we want to understand revival and, and reformation, we need to understand who forms us and who can fill us. Day four, you then see this connection made, which you probably have many times seen, between day one and day four. The light was filled with the sun and the dark with the moon, and then the air was filled with the fowl and the water was filled with the fish and day five, and then day six, the animals and the, were formed, and then man named them, and then it came to the end of that day, and he recognized there was not someone that looked like him, and he was feeling unfulfilled. And then the first surgical intervention came about, and there were good results, as Dr. Nedley says. He looked at that first uh, outcome of the surgery and said, whoa, man. So you have man and woman formed. Isn't this wonderful? And so this, this is all an expression of the right hand, the right arm of God. This is his creative act. And then it was all memorialized in day seven with the Sabbath. And Leslie Harding it says in his book, like the provocative suggestion, that Sahib, or the Indian word, I guess, Sahib is father, um, or Abba, I guess we have in the New Testament, related to father, and Bath always means the place of. So he formed the Sabbath and then filled it with that first family relationship of husband and wife and then in relationship with him. The, this rabbi 
Heschel has said, the Sabbath is a sanctuary in time. So, in this first activity of the right hand and the right arm, we see that God um, teaches us something. Right arm ministry is to not only form, but restore relationships. Think about the people that come into your clinics or to your practice. Think about their relationships. Have you heard some horror stories? Think about the ultimate relationship with God. God never meant for you to see what you're seeing every day, did he? He never meant that. And his creation was perfect. And uh, his right arm then led them to the Sabbath, a time of perfect harmony and unity, a time of recharging. Now, this right-hand activity of God, the creative right-hand activity of God, is memorialized by which commandment? The fourth commandment. Where he says, remember the Sabbath day, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is. The action of God's right hand. Now it's interesting that in Deuteronomy we're told, chapter 33, verse 2, that from his right hand went a fiery law for them. And so God's right hand formed that law. And you remember the statement by Ellen White that the law of God is on every cell and every tissue in the body. You can see it there. And as you work day in, day out, you're but seeing uh, an expression of God's creative work with his right hand. And then when it goes wrong, the work of the enemy. How many of you have marveled recently at the wonder of God's creative right hand? It's amazing, isn't it? And on the front lines, you get to look on the outside and some of you on the inside and look at things that other people don't get privileged to see. And you get to see the wonders of God's right hand. Do you ever just say, praise God for that? Do your patients recognize that you're seeing something just awesome? I had a physician that I worked with in the emergency department before I became a pastor. Name was Dr. Wilson, and you—he was a Christian. That um, he, I, I got to tell you something. When I worked in a clinical setting, it was the right hand ministry of people in the hospital that led me from being an atheist to being a Christian number one, and then led me from being a Christian to being a Seventh Day Adventist. The awesome power that your influence has. You, you may not understand or even appreciate it. But I remember Dr. Wilson, he, he was a Christian, and every time he'd say, he'd do anything, he'd say, let's ask the good Lord to help us. He wouldn't make a big point. He said, let's ask the good Lord to help us. We know the Lord needs to help us now. <laughs> and, and, and then he would always be on time. Have you ever been late? Well, how many of you have... I've been late many times. How many of you can join me in that? But purposefully late. If you're going into the hospital or to the clinic every day and you plan to be late, who knows that? Your office staff and then the patients and everybody else. And, you know, it's just not good. But Dr. Wilson was so on time that he, he worked in the emergency room 
doing some shifts with it. He had his own practice, but he would come in and work some shifts once in a while. And he would be out there at the triage desk. He would be so ahead of the curve that he would be meeting the patients in the parking lot. Let's get her out of there. Good Lord needs to help us here. Oh, yes. Come on in. And he was like greased lightning. I used to think, man, he's going to make a mistake. He's going to order something wrong. He'd have his script pad out just when they were walking in almost. But you know, I think the Lord protected him from making errors. He really did. I can't remember a time when, you know, we do these chart reviews. I can't remember a time a chart came up for him. And everybody else would always tell me, oh, we've got to take our time. We don't want to just be, you know, doing that. But the Lord helped him, and people knew he cared. And he was always giving credit to the Lord for what happened. From his right hand went a fiery law for them. I remember talking to Dr. Mills once, <laughs> and I told him that I had a very upset stomach. <laughs> you remember this? Uh, he talked to me many times. And he just said to me, Well, the curse does not come causeless. <laughs> Thought about that for a minute. I said, That doesn't sound like something he would come up with. So I looked it up in my computer and I discovered <laughs> this principle. And these little things that we drop, these little scriptural words are like the Holy Spirit being dropped into our practice, into our life. Ellen White says we should know the promises of God so we have them stored in our minds. So when a patient comes in, we can just drop them in where they need to be dropped as a seed. The right hand. You know, I was very concerned about this talk this morning because it's too much being like a teacher for me, but I'm becoming a teacher now. I'm moving from being a pastor to teacher, so I'm disciplining myself to do this. I said, man, Lord, I've got to have some illustrations, but he's helping me, praise God. <laughs> so the right hand of God. You, Lord, have made me glad through your work. I will triumph in the work of your hand, Psalm 92.4. And what is that psalm a celebration of? Do you remember? It's the Sabbath. So we celebrate the works of his hands on the Sabbath. Do your patients know that you celebrate the creative right arm of God on the Sabbath? Can they see a distinct difference in how you act on the Sabbath? I want to talk about that more tomorrow morning. I have been blessed to see uh, what can happen when there is a distinct difference made on the Sabbath day in a medical practice. I want to talk about those blessings tomorrow. So this glory in the work of God in his hands, his right hand. Thou wilt show me the path of life in thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. When God finished his creative work and then he came and entered in, I picture him introducing Adam to Eve. And all the pleasures of marriage on that Friday night. Rabbis say, we're taken advantage of. In all of their perfectness and beauty. And then all in the presence of God. This is a sanctuary uh, illusion, isn't it? When we're in God's presence and we're at his right hand, where are we? We're in that most holy place. And when we study God's right hand in Scripture, 
it is directly always related to the Sabbath and to the sanctuary. This is the Adventist advantage. This is the difference. So God's right-hand work is memorialized in the Sabbath commandment of Exodus. And it was pivotal in the creation and, as we will see, the redemption of the world. Now, the devil hates the right hand, the creative right hand of God. He hates it. And he attacked it. He called all of creation into question. This was a perfect world. And he said, hey, this is very questionable. (laughs) Is it complete? I mean, look, you've got all of these things to eat, but you don't have this one. (laughs) You don't have that one right over there. You see, it's not really complete. Is this really where all the pleasure is? I mean, if you come with me and you eat this fruit, I'll get you high, much higher than you were before. I'll give you an even holier experience. This was a counterfeit of that sanctuary, that presence with God. He says, look, come into my presence and there's fullness of joy, not in his. So this attack on the creative right arm of God was an attack on the sanctuary, on God's creative power, and on the Sabbath. You won't rest until you have more. You, you don't really have rest until you know good from evil. And how many of you pray to God for the day when you don't have to see what you see day in, day out? Do you? Or do you get cynical and say, well, (laughs) they're sick today, but you know, that's how I feed the family. I hope you don't do that. But I've heard people say that. Creation was questioned, is it complete? Well, this was the devil's Counterattack. And notice what he did. Conflict and courage. He, the devil, plucked the fruit and placed it in Eve's hand. Now I want to suggest that he placed it in her right hand. He tried to call into question God's right hand, and then he tried to corrupt man's right hand. Notice, why am I saying that? Psalm 26, 8 through 10. I have loved the place where thy honor dwelleth. That's a sanctuary text, isn't it? Gather not my soul with sinners. So now it's talking about what? Sinners. Nor my life with bloody men. Their right hand is what? The devil tries to corrupt the right hand financially, economically, in every which way. Psalm 144, 8 and 11. Rid me and deliver me from the hand of strange children whose mouth speaketh vanity, and their right hand is a right hand of what? What was Eve? She was a sinner. And her right hand was corrupted. I I just want to make the obvious, have you made the connection already? The health work is called the what? And who tries to corrupt it? And how do they try to corrupt it? 
they try and take over everything you use your right hand for, or your left, for that matter, but your abilities. And they specifically try and attack you in your Sabbath observance and in your view of the heavenly sanctuary, which is the only reason we have a health message, I might add. Am I right? Oh, my friends, last night, as I listened to the talk about Dr. Kellogg and how he had married a Seventh-day Baptist, my mind immediately went back to my own family history. My great-grandfather was the first Seventh-day Adventist minister, was met uh, in, in our family, and he became that as a result of the healing ministry of the church. He went... Uh, to a camp meeting and there was an anointing and he saw someone healed and he said God must be with his people he became a Seventh-day Adventist minister and he was a call porter and a church planter and he knocked on the door of several people there in many places actually started about 40 churches last time I was here at APC Dr. what's his name Carol Small is that his name told me that my great-grandfather had brought his parents into the church, or his grandparents. He came and brought me pictures the next day. (laughs) Well, here in California, I'm moving to California soon from the Midwest, I have a whole set of family members that are Seventh-day Baptists or now nothing. You know what they tried to do? Back at the time my grandfather, my great-grandfather became an Adventist, they liked everything about the message, but they didn't like the health message. And so they tried to do everything except for what Ellen White said about the spirit of prophecy, uh, in the spirit of prophecy about health. And then they tried to get away from the sanctuary doctrine. Ballinger came and visited their home. There are some people like Ballinger even today. And they attacked that, and then they have over the years even lost the regard for the Sabbath, some of them. But the others are very prominent in the Seventh-day Baptist faith. It's interesting for me to receive phone calls in my late 20s when I was at home from my great-grandfather's, or rather my grandfather's brothers, my great-uncles. They were the ones that had to choose between the sanctuary message as it relates to health and the spirit of prophecy and being a Seventh-day Baptist, and then some of them went the opposite direction. One of them became a leader in the Theosophical Society and was good friends with Catherine Kuhlman. Can't help but have a spirit of prophecy. You've got to get it somewhere. And it was interesting for, to, to me to feel the phone calls of these men in their 80s. They got sick, and they called up and they said, We realize now that we should never have abandoned that message of health. We realize now the great truth of that. And they would want to talk to my grandfather, who was still alive, and they'd ask him, what do we do now? How can we redeem the time? Brothers and sisters, I am thankful for the Sabbath message of the Adventist Church and of Scripture. Are you? It is a documentation. It's what God uses to remind us of his powerful right arm. I'm thankful for the sanctuary message. I'm thankful for that lays the foundation for everything we do. 
I've seen it played out in my life. I've seen the tests of the research done in a family history. So let's summarize this first action and then we'll move forward. God's right hand was pivotal in creation. He created perfect relationships. He is the God of relationships. He forms us and he fills us and he wants us to have purposeful lives. This is the whole purpose of his right hand activity in creation. The Sabbath was to remind us of God's power or remind man of God's power and of their purpose. And uh, the way we relate to the Sabbath helps people also see God's power or where we get God's power to come into our lives. Remember that when most... Uh, well, i got to get to that. <laughs> a little ahead of myself. Number four, Sabbath is a sanctuary in time. It is so important how you relate to the Sabbath as a health professional. I would love to hear some of your stories about this. I'll have some of my own tomorrow. Number five, the devil attacked and perverted, or largely perverted, God's right-hand ministry. And he wants to attack and pervert your ministry as well. The reason we're here in this conference, the reason Amen is started is because People have a sense that there's something more to God's right hand. It's here. It's his creative power. Am I right? Well, I, I loved reading your mission statement, by the way. I don't know who came up with that and all the different things. I, I don't have them all straight, you know, bylaws and trilaws and all those different things. But it's beautiful what the Lord has inspired you to come up with here in Amen. You know, one of your things is to say, look at the prophetic basis of health. Oh man, I'm getting, I'm loving that idea. And, uh, and, and look at the theological foundations. Oh, you don't know how that makes a minister feel. <laughs> oh man, you just go, oh man, <laughs> just let me add that. The right hand in creation. In the beginning, God created. It was beautiful. But at the end of Genesis, as we're aware, Joseph died. They embalmed him and he was put in a coffin. God's right arm frustrated. But I am thankful that God's right arm is also the arm of redemption. The hand of redemption. Can you say hallelujah to that? Even though the devil tried to take it away, God comes back again. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy that it cannot hear. Each of you today are an expression of that redemptive right hand. Look at that person next to you and say, praise God for you, if you want to. <laughs> In Exodus, the metered, measured way out, God started to lead his people. And as I looked at this right hand and right arm through scripture, this is where it popped up. I will stretch out my hand and smite Egypt with all my wonders. And after that, he will let you go. God began to address cognitive distortions. Ah, I like Dr. Nudley's seminar where he addresses cognitive distortions. How many of you address cognitive distortions day in, day out? And how many of you just get so tired you just go, here's some medication? <laughs> all right, we all know that. 
God stretched out His hand and the signs and wonders came. Pharaoh shall not hearken unto you that I may lay my hand upon Egypt and bring forth my armies and my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great judgments. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch forth my hand upon Egypt and bring out the children of Israel from among them. What hand was it? Exodus 15, 6. Your right hand, O Lord, has become glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, has dashed the enemy in pieces. You stretched out your right hand, and the earth swallowed them. Are you seeing a new vista of right-hand ministry here? He is the creator, but he's also the what? Restorer. He's the redeemer. Hallelujah. Now notice what the right hand does. Remember, in the creative act of God's right hand, He created a perfect world and perfect relationships that led them where? To the Sabbath. As a sanctuary in time. Notice what happens in the redemptive work. In restoring that, He comes and He says, By the greatness of your right arm, they will be still as a stone, speaking of the Egyptians, till the people pass over whom you have purchased You will bring them in and plant them in the mountain of your inheritance. In the what? O Lord, which you have made for your own dwelling. The? O Lord, which your hands have established. Which hand is leading here? The right hand. And where does the right hand lead? Always back to the sanctuary. Moses had been at that sanctuary for 40 years unlearning what he had learned in the medical schools of Egypt. Am I right? He had lost a patient on the operating table. Right? He was trying to fix the problem. And uh, uh, God said, better work with some sheep for a while. Now, he loves sheep too. Okay, If you're with PETA, my apologies. But... He sent them back. And as you study this exodus, he went back to this very mountain himself. You know the story. And he had to learn all of these lessons back in the anatomy and physiology lab, you know. He had the little remedial training. And so the point is, he was taking them back to where God had taken him. And this is such a big point when we think about our practice in our lives. You cannot take people to the throne unless you've been to the throne. The other day in prayer meeting, I was talking to my church, getting kind of emotional about my church because I'm leaving it to come out here. And it was my next to last prayer meeting and my sheep came in. And one was talking about how it was so important to listen to people and I was fearful because it was a new member and there are some things you need to listen to, and there are some things you, you don't need to listen to. And I was saying, how am I going to say this to not put a root of bitterness in her against her pastor when he's leaving because she's going to be vulnerable without a shepherd for a while while she's got excellent elders and whatnot. But I interact. What am I going to say? And I was asking for the testimonies. I was saying, Lord, please help me. And then I came back to her and I said, Lord, you know, I think you really should listen. 
But the thing, the person you need to listen to the most is God Almighty every morning. And if you listen to him, to him enough, you know whether or not you should listen to what someone else is saying. Am I right about that? So Moses was taking, you know, and it, it, it's, it's interesting to see that Moses would go up the mountain, he would go down the mountain, he'd do all this, and this was all before the people. He was going up, he was going down. He had the exercise class with Dr. Clark in the morning. He came down. Right? What was he modeling? He was modeling that God wanted them to go into this sanctuary experience and to the very, his very presence. God wanted the people ultimately to be able to go up the mountain. Do you believe that's true? Revelation 14 shows them where? On the bottom of the mountain or the top of the mountain? In the presence of God. Right? So this whole idea of leading with the arm as provocative and very practical applications for us. I, I'll tell you another story here because... Uh, let me see if I will or not. Yeah, I'll tell you another story. When I was working in the emergency department in different parts of the hospital. I was not a Christian. And it's a terrible place to work if you're not a Christian or if you've fallen off the way. And how many of you realize that your thoughts can lead you way out of the path very rapidly? You're only one day away from being far away. You're, you're only a series of thoughts away. How many of you have come to realize that? It's thought by thought, isn't it? I was there, and I was blessed by the influence of another physician. Some people say, well, how do I witness in, the, uh, in my work? Well, this particular man always would have, I don't know if it's his right hand or not, although I do remember he was right-handed because I read a lot of his charting, what I could read. It had been damaged somehow, the right hand had been. And uh, he always had in his hand either his small Bible that he would lay down by the charts or the Spirit of Prophecy book everywhere he went. Always had that and had a marker in it. And when something would come, and it wasn't too often because it was very busy, he would open that up and just read a couple paragraphs. We'd see him do that. And he'd bow his head. That had a profound effect on me. I said, that guy's crazy. <laughs> but the more I thought about it, I saw the difference in the patience in that man, man's practice. There was, there was a calm. There was a peace. And people knew where he got his power. His hand was on the word and his other hand was on them. And I began to, as I was converted, do the same thing. I'd take my Bible to the emergency room. I'd set it right up there. And if I wanted to address a certain issue, I'd bring another book that had it right on the cover, and I'd put the two together. Sure enough, sometime during the shift, people say, what is this book? What are you reading? And all these conversations would come up. But you can't take some people, you can't take someone where you haven't been. And where did Moses want to take people? To the sanctuary. He brought them to the border of his sanctuary, even to this mountain, which his right hand had purchased. Look, let me say plainly to you, your purpose is to lead people to an understanding of the God of the sanctuary. 
the only difference Adventism has with any other church is this beautiful sanctuary doctrine that shows the fullness of God's truth. Don't be ashamed of it. Find ways to proclaim it. Isaiah 63, 12. Moses was there as God's visible right hand who led them by the right hand of Moses with his glorious arm. This is an interesting surgical situation, isn't it? His arm connected to that hand. You remember Daniel chapter 5, where that hand was unconnected in the vision of Belshazzar because he was falling and soon to never come out of Babylon. But for Daniel, he saw the connection completely. For one, it was a bloodless hand, and for the other, it was a powerful hand. In that same chapter, now here's where we get to this connection of the right hand and hell. In that same chapter, Exodus 15, as he's leading them to the sanctuary, notice what happens. It says this, if you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do all that is right in the sight, give ear to his commandments and keep his statutes, I will put none of these diseases on you which I have brought upon the Egyptians. Can you see that the, the pathway to God's presence, to his sanctuary, to his Sabbath, will also bring every other blessing in its train? If you put him first, seek me first, all these things will be added unto you. Is that right? This is what's happened in the Advent movement. You see, they worshiped the river, and he had to clear up that cognitive distortion. Say, you're going to be saved by the blood of the Lamb. They worshiped the frogs, and he said, well, <laughs> uh, that's good, but uh, not very good. What would you do if God jumped into your bed or into your kneading bowl, into your bathroom, and the frogs went everywhere God should be. They didn't like God everywhere. <laughs> At least that God. And they were taken away from that distortion by God's powerful right hand. And what did they say finally when they dealt with the bugs? They worshipped the beetles and the bugs and the fleas. What did they say? This is not just the arm of God, not just the hand of God. This is the what? Finger of God. Isn't that right? God's powerful right hand was clearing up the big distortions like the Nile and the little distortions like the fleas. And when you're led by the Spirit, you can discover in your patience and the people you're treating the fleas. And hopefully you don't miss the Nile too. Right? Now I want to show you something I think is interesting. As God led them from these distortions, he took ten distortions away, ten plagues. He replaced those ten distortions with ten truths, the Ten Commandments. He did brain surgery. Or he transplanted these distortions with truths. But as they also went to the sanctuary, I noticed something interesting as I was thinking about this. I was ruminating on this statement that Elohim makes that people that they're translated at the end of time will be not eating flesh foods. And someone had accosted me on this, and so I was, you know, going back, and I was thinking about the paradigms of Scripture, and then I began to realize when the people left Egypt, Egypt, they had all kinds of unclean animals that they would eat. But then when they came to the sanctuary, only clean animals were memorialized in the sanctuary services. Those clean animals were using the outer court. In Leviticus 10, you do see them some, sometimes being eaten 
in the holy place, but mostly in the outer court, occasionally in the holy place. But then you notice in the, in the holy place that there's something else that comes into the picture. There's the table of showbread and many pictures. You see also a flagon and uh, a pitcher. And many times in that pitcher, some have suggested there was grape juice. And so now you see what we celebrate in communion, but think about it in a preventive health context. You see the flavonoids of the grape. <laughs> you see the complex carbohydrates being introduced with a little olive oil to put some light on the subject. Can you say amen to that? Then you see the prayer ascending there, if you will. These are all healing, medicinal things, aren't they? And then you move into the most holy place and you have manna. Oh, what is it? Isn't that what they say when you start talking to them about what they should eat? What is that? That's a most holy place thing. You know that you're moving to the holy place when people say, what do you eat? Let me take you to the most holy place. Let me take you out of Egypt. Let me take you into the presence of God. And you'll find rest for your souls. Don't say that. Think that, though. Think that, okay? You understand what I'm saying? Look. This message is beautiful. Makes you weep. As God leads his people. Think about the almond. It's a perfect nut. You're not a perfect nut. The almond's a perfect nut. And I used to work in the hospital. They'd say, you're a peanut. They said, watch what I ate. I should have said, no, I'm not. I'm an almond. (laughs) But when you study the almond, study the almond. I don't have time to go through it. Powerful studies on what it can do. Can you see this this illusion? Am I way out there on a limb? Think about it. God was leading them to the sanctuary. He memorialized or the things of earth are then replaced with the things of heaven. And how did God memorialize his right arm activity? How did he do that? He memorialized the right arm activity of creation in the Exodus commandment. For in six days I made heaven and earth. But in the redemption aspect, he takes us to Deuteronomy, the second giving of the law. God is not just the God of the Exodus. He is the God of Deuteronomy. He gives us a second chance. If we've messed it up, he wants to restore it. I'm thankful for a God like that. He wants to write his law anew on my heart and on my mind. Hallelujah. And notice what he says to help us remember not just his creative arm, but his redemptive arm, his restorative arm. Remember the Lord your God brought you out from there by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Which hand was it? Which arm was it? It was the right one. We know it because of Exodus 15, don't we? And in that very commandment, in that commandment of the Sabbath, we have that Sabbath commandment that then is enshrined in the sanctuary that reminds us of the Sabbath. All of these aspects of the right arm come together. Are you thankful for right hand and right arm ministry? Can you see how they're inextricably linked with the ministry? Can you see that? Ellen White uses these statements. There are no overt uh, statements that are connected, or not many. The right hand with healing. But when you look at it, it's there. And the connectedness is there. 
The surgery has been done. The right arm is reconnected. I'm getting excited about this. And I think you should too, because you're right there. I got three minutes. Tell you a story. How do we move the right arm? Through prayer. I want to tell you today that it's because of the prayer of a nurse and the prayer of a patient that I'm a Seventh-day Adventist and I'm alive today. Sometimes we can get so far away from what ministry is supposed to be that God has to speak to us as he spoke to Balaam. And I well remember that day as I was working on that busy floor, med surge floor, where this lady who I'd been taking care of for some time, who had started to talk with me about God, I was telling everyone I was an atheist and an agnostic in an attempt to identify my true purpose in life. And uh, she wasn't buying it. She kept asking probing questions as if the Holy Spirit was directing her finger to the lice and lies in my life. And as she did that, I became more and more uncomfortable and I asked not to go into her room ever again. But her parents, or her sons rather, she was the parent of two physicians in the hospital. One was a surgeon and the other was a cardiologist. They specifically asked for me to take care of her. This was, I thought, if there was a devil, he would do that. But I didn't believe in those things. But what God was doing was putting me in the grip of his hand. I remember the last day that lady lived. I would tell her I didn't believe in God, that I didn't believe in prayer. I told her once, she goes... What's your dad do? And I said, my dad's a, a minister. She goes, oh, that's it. Nietzsche's dad was a minister. Marx's dad. She went through all these different people who had uh, parents who were clergy. And I was like, oh, man. She goes, your answers don't help me. What would your dad say to me? She had a triple A. She was ready to die. It was not surgically uh, able to be operated on. She was just giving... They were giving her medications to lower her blood pressure. And she was just there waiting. I remember the day she died. I came down the hall and gave her meds. She wanted to talk to me. I said, I got to give some other medications and rushed out. Several hours later, her light came on. And this time, her daughter came out and said, she's got a lot of pain. And I knew what that meant. Terrible pain. And you know what that meant. I immediately called her family who came in. And I discovered that none of them wanted to be in the room with her because they didn't know how to really deal with death. They didn't know how to pray. She had raised them as atheists. I was telling everyone I was an atheist. God was showing me that that's a dead-end street. I went into that room that day. And there she was. We had talked about all these things, and she had asked me how to pray, and I said I didn't pray and told her how my dad did it. That was my last conversation with her before then, and I went into the room, and there she was, diaphoretic. Minutes from death. Death looking me right in the eyes. 
and she reached out her hand to me. The hand of faith that I didn't have. And she said, will you pray for me? Will you pray for me? The atheist asking for prayer. I was so callous, brothers and sisters, that I said to her, I don't pray. And Dottie, the nurse who was with me, she was a powerful nurse. She jumped across the bed and grabbed me by the neck. She said, you pray for that lady. <laughs> you pray for that lady. And the lady, the last breath, she says, pray. Would you pray for me? And I prayed for the first time I ever had prayed for a patient. And the lady died. The stones will cry out. People want the Lord. They want to know his presence. They want to have his rest. They want to enter into his sanctuary. I'm so thankful for that lady's life. I'm so thankful for that lady's death. I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to remember the powerful right arm of God. The creative arm reminds us of what he wants for us to be. And the redemptive arm reaches us where we are. And we can be used by God to bring attention to his salvation rest, to his Sabbath rest, to his sanctuary in time. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we're thankful, Lord, that you've been here with us in spite of us. And we're thankful for your powerful right hand. Remind us of it day in, day out. Memorialize it in our lives. Let us be a testament that can be read and known by others. They'll realize it's not us, but the excellence of the glory is you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen.